Hello and welcome everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. And boy, do we have a show for you this week. Lots of extremely important stuff to cover. And uh, so I'm actually going to do a really short, kind of abbreviated news segment today because I want to get to our interview. We've got a really good interview today with um, Ernesto Falcone from the EFF. Yet another interview with the EFF. The Electronic Frontier Foundation is doing just some amazing work and uh, really glad to talk to these guys. So let's start with... Uh, a little bit of news for the week. And with tax time in the United States quickly approaching, I've got a couple tips that I've just got to pass on um, to make sure that you're protecting yourselves. So first of all, be very aware of phone scams and of course, email scams as well. But it it seems like phone scams are the the most compelling uh, around the IRS, uh, the Internal Revenue Service and taxes. Uh, I've gotten one of these calls myself. It was a robocall uh, telling me that I had some sort of horrible tax fraud and I needed to get back in touch with them immediately. It was bogus. Uh, they're all bogus. The IRS is not going to call you to tell you that you've committed tax fraud or that you've got some massive backlog. They're not going to leave that sort of information on a phone message. They're not going to call you with that information. They will mail you a letter first and contact you that way. Do not accept phone calls from the IRS. Do not believe it when they say, no matter how convincing that they are from the IRS, if you are really unsure, hang up the phone and call the IRS directly yourself. That will be the end all be all for you to figure out whether or not this is true. So beware the phone scams. Now, the other thing I want to cover since uh, tax time is arriving is that you need sometimes to send uh, financial documents to your tax preparer. If you don't do your taxes yourself, and you have someone else do it, then you need to get them their documents. And sometimes the easiest way to do that is to uh, send them electronically as opposed to physically. Uh, I'm here to tell you that you need to make sure that when you do that, you really must encrypt those documents. Do not just send them as an attachment to an email. Don't send them as an attachment to a text message. You need to encrypt those files and then send them. It's kind of a pain in the butt, but you really need to do it. So instead of trying to get through all of that here, it's actually much easier to tell you this uh, in a blog posting. Check out my blog uh, at firewallsdontstopdragons.com where I cover this issue and it will help you uh, to send your tax documents securely. And now without further ado, I want to talk about What has been going on this week uh, with respect to your privacy and your internet service provider? Congress has just voted to completely gut the privacy rules that were set to take place in December that were enacted last fall under the Obama administration. Uh, They're claiming it's for consumer value, but it's completely bogus. This is a total handout to the uh, internet service providers, including your wireless providers who also connect you to the internet. Whereas prior to this, they were maybe a little bit worried about trying to sell your data. At this point, they have carte blanche, and it's it's really ugly. So without further ado, let's get to our wonderful interview with Ernesto Falcone from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Okay, and as promised, we are here today speaking with Ernesto Omar Falcone, 
who is the Legislative Counsel for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Um, Ernesto specializes in the federal legislative process on issues impacting uh, privacy, intellectual property, and internet freedom, so he's absolutely the perfect person to talk to today about what's been going on uh, this past week or two in Congress surrounding your privacy and uh, how we basically just let that completely go to the internet service providers. Uh, There's so much to cover, and there's so much I want to talk about, and I'm so looking forward to having you break it all down for us and what it really means. That sounds great. All right. So let's start just if you would, like maybe give us a little thumbnail sketch of, of how we got to this point. How did we kind of get where we are? What were what are the, the key events? Um, and and what, particularly in this last week, what went down? Sure. So the, the, the big, the big picture history is um, we have a communications privacy uh, provision in law that's been around for 21 years. And, and the fundamental premise has always been that your data can only be used by your communications provider. Back then, telephone today, broadband, uh, if they have your permission. So fast forward to kind of these, this, this week, what happened in Congress. Um, the FCC, last, end of last year, uh, updated the privacy rules uh, to explain how they apply to broadband providers. Uh, the law is always applied to them. It's just more a matter of, cl- of clarifying, like, what do we mean when we say confidential information, things of that nature. So the fundamentals were your browser information, your application usage, geolocation, MAC address, medical history, all, pretty much everything you do on the Internet. Uh, the Internet company, the broadband uh, provider, namely your cable or, te- or telephone company, uh, would need your permission before they're allowed to use that information for any sort of secondary market uh, reselling, repackaging with with other providers. The Congress invoked the what was called the Congressional Review Act, which is this expedited procedure that you know you don't have you don't get hearings, you don't get amendments. It, it rushes it through the process, and it essentially attacked those rules by repealing them and also what a Congressional Review Act does, uh, CRA for short, is it prevents the federal agency from enacting rules in the future that are substantially similar in form. So it's essentially a type of legal bar on the FCC from from doing a lot in the privacy space now. The the primary author in the Senate was Senator Jeff Flake from Arizona. Uh, He was long opposed to the FCC updating the privacy rules over this last year, and so this is kind of his final act in, in defiance of that. The lead proponent on the House side was Marsha Blackburn from uh, Tennessee. She's always been a, a big uh, booster for the telephone and cable industry, and she is the head, uh, she's the lead on the telecommunications subcommittee with the House Republicans. So the two of them kind of joined forces and, and shepherded this whole process through to the end. And uh, it's going to the president's desk. The president, unfortunately, has reaffirmed twice that he will sign this bill despite all the public uh, outcry. And I think not just from your, your, you know, the folks that are traditionally opposed to Trump, but I think from everyone. Uh, there is no constituency out there for cable and telephone companies. But uh, <laughs> it seems that the president is set to sign this bill, and we will, we will have a long-term battle to restoring uh, back to our stat- the status quo our privacy rights online. So, yeah, so let's give this a little context. So what we're really talking about here is your internet service provider, and, and that, of course, may also include your, your cellular wireless provider, because they are, when you're accessing the internet through your smart devices, that, of course, makes them an internet service provider as well in that context. So That's correct. What, and I think that what I think is often missed is 
you know, people, we've, we've actually kind of learned to think about, oh my goodness, Google and uh, some of these other uh, advertising companies and marketing companies have so much information on us and, and Facebook and, and what are they allowed to do with that information? But I, and I think until, honestly, until this kind of debate hit, I, I think it, what was lost on a lot of people is that your internet service provider, while Facebook and Google, you know, see whatever they have access to, which is substantial, it's still whatever you could choose not to use Google. You could choose not to get on Facebook. You can't really choose not to have the have the internet that your internet service provider sees all right that's right that's right that's the fundamental difference and that's always kind of been at the core of why the the law was structured in a way where uh the party who provides you communications access is restricted by by the, the privacy law for a very specific reason and that reason is exactly as you said even in the old days of telephone you had to reveal personal information to the to the company in order for the service to even work. You have to tell them where you're going to call. They have to they they are in charge of transmitting the contents of your conversation, right? Uh, you need to tell them your address. You need to tell them when you're making those calls. Uh, these are all things that it, you know that it just wouldn't function as a service if you didn't do that. You know, the exact same premise applies to broadband, right? You have to tell the your cable company which website you want to go to. You have to tell them, uh, you know, which subpages you want to go to, how long you're on that website, which websites you go to afterwards. And at the end of the day, I mean, I, we all have some friend of ours that doesn't use Facebook at all, right? And so, the, and the reality is, Facebook has nothing on that person because they don't interact with the service and they made a choice. Uh, most people in this country, unfortunately, have only one high-speed broadband provider. Uh, well past fifty percent, and, and so you know you have areas where people are dealing with regional monopolies that you can't discipline the same way you can the internet companies because uh, where you have multiple choices for email providers, multiple choices for search, multiple choices for video platforms, social media, and whatnot, and the choice not to use any of them and just use other services on the internet, uh, you don't have a choice when it comes down to actually using the internet itself. So the, the the laws that were put in, or the regulations that were put in place, um, I, I believe they were um, they were kind of enacted last year and were set to go into, in, not actually set to take effect until December. Is that right? That's correct. And what basically we talked about what that was meant. So, but if none of those things have actually happened yet and they weren't in place before, what is actually different now than than it was a year ago? Anything? Sure. So two things. One, the every rule. So. This is kind of the, the how any federal agency operates generally. Any rule or regulation they produce has to be uh, f- has to have its foundation in the law. Uh, the law needs to kind of be reasonably interpreted to 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 give life to that rule. And so, what the SEC essentially did was just kind of uh, clarify the privacy law that already applied to these broadband companies. And you know, prior to that. You know, I think every broadband company, every cable and telephone guy, uh, when they look at what they can do with people's data, they they knew what the law said, which was you know they had to protect confidential information, they had to get permission for certain types of uh, information from the individual, and you know, they always you know weighed the risk liability of you know can, what can we do with certain types of data we have. What the FCC essentially did is get them away from this gray space of kind of skirting the line. And establish a real clear black and white uh, rule. You know, if it's browser history, hands off. You have to get permission first. Um, I, I would say the cable companies probably worked really hard to say if you went to a kind of a non-controversial website, then that's up for grabs versus going to like WebMD. Okay, maybe that's health. Maybe we'll leave that alone. Um, 
you know, th- those are the kind of the judgment calls they're always making. So what the biggest change now, uh, now that Congress has, has moved to repeal and prohibit the agency from enforcing privacy law in this space, is web browsing history and application usage and geolocation, things that you had to get permission for under the, the rules, uh, I don't think the cable companies will care now. Now, now I think they will, they will see that Congress acted and has passed a different law that kind of contradicts a lot of, of the interpretations people would have about the underlying privacy law, and they'll run with that. I, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if they start using browser information without permission. I wouldn't be surprised if they start using geo, your geolocation and your application uh, data for some sort of packaging profiling and monetary purposes. Because now the FCC can no longer say you have to get permission for that uh, because they will turn around and say, well, Congress said no. Wow. So uh, there, are, there have already been some cases in the past where this has kind of cropped up before. And, and I think I think you're right in, in that it's it's before it was at least somewhat nebulous um, and, and there may have been some vague rules. And now it's sort of an explicitly saying carte blanche. It's OK. Do what you want. Um and so I think for that reason, as you say, that, 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 that may open just open the floodgates. But there actually have already been cases in the past where this has sort of cropped up and, and there's been pushback. I remember uh, just I think it was just a couple of years ago when AT&T and Verizon were sort of caught doing this uh, super cookie thing, uh, mm-hmm. basically being on your when your cell phones, they were because they were kind of your gatekeeper to the Internet. They could without you having any way to detect this or control this basically tag every every communication you had with the internet with a little marker and and now they would claim that it was an indescript marker and actually what they did is they would sell the mapping to other people i believe is what they were doing so it they might put some really crazy tag on there that looks like gibberish but then they could turn around and say well yeah that gibberish is is carry <laughs> so you know if you mm-hmm. want to buy that for me and they would rotate these tags uh, could you talk a little bit about that and and um and, and how that worked and other maybe some similar cases in the past just to kind of give a concrete idea of what this really means yeah so so the the Verizon super cookie and the and, and what AT&T were doing is, are great examples of what um, of how they saw the the law and how it applied to them before uh, the FCC updated the rules and and how they're going to see it after the fact. So yeah, as I as I mentioned before, it was you know gray space. They weren't sure kind of what the limits of the law were and where they were and were not allowed to engage in. But the moment the FCC started getting engaged in the conversation of like what are you doing, right? Like what why are you doing these? Uh, you know, the companies have to then look at the law and say, oh, okay, they might be able to fine us a lot of money if we don't kind of change our behavior at this point, because this is what Section 222 of the Communications Act, which is the, the privacy uh, provisions, uh, this is what it says, and, and, you know, a reasonable judge and a reasonable lawyer will, will interpret that we are in violation of the law. Um, you know, so then they desisted, right? They stopped these activities that, you know, that we've, we discovered a number of other privacy folks highlighted to the public and, and kind of brought that pressure. Now I worry about the pressure being uh, substantially alleviated. So if they are engaging that activity again once uh, the president signs into the law, then the moment the FCC tries to enforce its its privacy legal powers, um, you know, there's a substantive challenge that the cable and telephone industry will raise in court uh, on, the, their, on the premise that Congress has spoken to uh, bar the agency from from enforcing privacy rules in specific ways. Um, if you go to the October 2016 privacy rules, 
that the FCC created, this is essentially everything Congress said, this is off the table. Um, it's pretty all-encompassing. It's a substantive document that covers you know, virtually everything we do on the Internet uh, in terms of, of how we expose our information and how we reveal kind of personal traits about ourselves and, and sorted them in very clear categories of, of opt-in uh, and opt-out. So you, you, you erase all that, and, and it's hard to tell you know, what, what's left of the law after the fact. So how how do the carriers the 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 service providers how are they kind of justifying the, their need for this is it is it are they literally just coming up and saying we provide the service there we we should be able to profit by all aspects of the information that we that we are privy to or are they trying to make some sort of claim of these regulations are onerous or burdensome I, I know that the reason I brought up the Facebook and Google example was that I know that one of the things I've heard. Uh, some of them saying is that oh, it's not fair. You're not regulating Google and Facebook this way, so why should you regulate us this right. way? Right. There's a series of arguments, and and I'd love to d- distill them all because it, what they're going to do is deploy the Republicans in the House and Senate who got to vote for them. They're going to give them all these talking points in, in hopes of them alleviating the anger that the public's going to kind of break upon them. Uh, what they're going to say is, is it's privacy laws generally intact, and, and there's still privacy provisions in, in, in check, and the Federal Trade Commission could take care of this. Um, so I'll, I'll break all these down. So let's start with one thing they'll say is the Federal Trade Commission has done this uh, as the quote-unquote primary privacy cop on the beat, and they're the, they should be the lead expert agency, and, and we should be deferring to them about how to regulate the activities of cable and telephone. What they don't say when they when they make these arguments is the Ninth Circuit uh, just last year ruled that the Federal Trade Commission does not have any authority over cable and telephone companies can't do anything about cable and telephone company activities, and that that's because your broadband companies are common carriers, and the Federal Trade Commission is generally uh, precluded from regulating common carriers. Um, the kind of the history lesson behind that is whenever something was a common carrier that tended to be a, 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 its own statute, its own regulator, its own set of rules that governed the activity. And so the common carrier exclusion, which is the, the term under the FC, FTC Act, was uh, a way to kind of separate the responsibilities of different, different agencies. And if, if I'm correct, the reason that the, that whole common carrier thing came about with the net neutrality fight, correct? That's right, and it actually goes back even further than that. So, um, you know, for the for the fun kind of history lesson, what's been happening in terms of the broadband fight generally, because we've been fighting the, the fight about the FCC's ability to protect consumers uh, and and enforce the rules against uh, cable and telephone companies dates back for for many many years pat, prior to this, and it's essentially when DSL came into being, DSL broadband. Uh, that was regulated as a common carrier right off the bat because it was still essentially a telephone service and telephone is a common carrier service. When cable modem started coming in, no one was quite sure what that meant. You know, is that that's not a you know it's a cable television thing that's doing an internet thing? What does that mean in terms of the law? And this is where the kind of the the, the legal uh, back and forth started happening. So then the FCC said, okay, they, neither of these are common carriers now. Uh, they got they took that up to the Supreme Court. That's the Brand X case. Uh, Justice Scalia has a great dissent on on that for for those that are kind of more of the, the legal nerd types. <laughs> um, the and and even then, even then, the FCC. This was when it was Chairman Powell who now runs the cable industry. For folks to know, um, he basically had the belief, and and the legal premise was, 
even though they're not common carriers, we could still essentially regulate them like common carriers. The, the protections that exist in the Communications Act still applies to them just as much as it did to the good old-fashioned telephone system. It wasn't until Comcast v. FCC, which is when Comcast did its BitTorrent thing, right? They, they throttled BitTorrent, and the FCC uh, sanctioned them. This is under Kevin Martin, uh, Chairman Martin that the Comcast took the FCC to court saying, you don't have any authority over us under, under because uh, we're not, you know, since we're not common carriers, you can't actually regulate us, you can't actually do anything about our practices. Uh, and they won that case. Uh, that That's when, you know, Chairman Janikowski and Chairman Wheeler kind of came into the scene to try and salvage the, what everyone assumed has always existed, which is an FCC oversight, you know, oversight agency uh, over, you know, over the broadband companies. And, and Chairman Wheeler is the one who kind of saw it through to the end. He, you know, he reclassified essentially, brought everyone back into the Title II fold, uh, you know, declared them common carriers in the D.C. Circuit, which is a, a conservative court in many respects, um, upheld the interpretation. So once that happened, then kind of the jig was up in terms of escaping the obligations that Congress created for communications companies uh, in the 90s. Uh, and, and that's where we fast forward to today, which is this, this latest iteration where they've won, you know, essentially won uh, round one on, in terms of our privacy rights. We are excited indeed to be celebrating our one-year anniversary here at America Out Loud. And we could not have done it without you. Well, in short order, we've become one of the fastest-growing podcast and talk radio networks in the world. For all the latest news, entertainment, your blogging, and now web TV as we celebrate our one-year anniversary here, and we'll see you back at AmericaOutloud.com. Well, there are thousands of nutrition supplements out there, so how do you choose? Well, I believe you choose by the impact it has on your body. For instance, sleeping better at night, having more energy during the day, less anxieties, and just feeling better overall. After taking Healthy Cell for just three weeks, it about changed my life. So much that I asked the company for a special deal for you. Instead of $110 plus shipping, you pay just $79.99 for the monthly plan plus free shipping. Just go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, or click the banner on the homepage of AmericaOutloud.com. Take it from me, Malcolm Outloud. This is a game changer. HealthyCell.com. Let's get back to some of the other kind of um, excuses or arguments that, that, that they're ostensibly making to try to convince Sure. Uh, the, the public. So yeah, so the, so the, you know the, that that all explains why the FTC no longer has jurisdiction over over them, at least in terms of uh, the states of California, Montana, Idaho, Arizona, Hawaii, Oregon, and Washington and Alaska. Um, so anyone that's listening in those states, I mean, if you're if you're senator or member of Congress says the FTC is going to protect you, I mean they're lying. <laughs> like they are they are they are they are either lying or they're completely misinformed about the law and the states of play. Uh, and have bought hook line, hook, line, and sinker to the cable and telecom lobby, who are who are telling them they're they're regulated when they're not. Um, the other argument they'll make is the underlying 
privacy uh, provisions under communications law. And this is section 222. Uh, fully operational, no problem whatsoever. Just We just got rid of this Obama regulation and therefore uh, everything else is still regulated under Title II and we're still common carriers and subject to all these uh, duties and, and requirements. What, what that ignores is what the act that Congress passed, uh, Congressional Review Act, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't just get rid of a rule that was passed and just kind of clean slates it. Uh, what it does is it says the FCC can no longer in, uh, create a rule like this in the future. Now, you know, as I mentioned earlier, rules are essentially interpretations of what the law means. And, and so in essence, what Congress has done by, by an act of law, by, by passing this to the president, is, you know, Congress has declared you cannot interpret the privacy law to mean the following things. Uh, to make it as simple as possible. And those following things are things like uh, you, you need to have permission before you use browser history, you need to have permission before you use application history, uh, permission for geolocation, and, and kind of the whole, the whole gamut of, of online activities that, we, that the FCC moved to protect us uh, on and um, are now essentially in this you know, you know, legal cloud where I, I think they will, run, you know, they will run as hard as they can to make the use of all that data. Wow. So, and what one thing I also think that gets lost in, on some of this is, and I and I don't, I can't for the life of me imagine how you argue against this. But what all the regulations did, and correct me if I'm wrong, it, they didn't ban these practices. All it said was that you have to be transparent about what you're doing with the customers, and you have to get their explicit permission to opt in, as opposed to seek, you know, give them an opportunity to opt out. Correct? That's absolutely right, and I, I think. What blows my mind is when the argument is made that this is a free market response, right? The <laughs> idea that we need to free up the market and allow the free market to resolve these issues when I, I can't define a more free market idea than people making the choice. Uh, they have to provide you a compelling product in exchange for your information. And if they don't, then you as the customer just said, I, I'm not buying. You know, I'm not going to exchange my information for, for something that's not of value to me. Um, to me, that's pretty fundamental capitalism, and what we have instead and, and is a lack of recognition of the power of the ISP, the, um, the amount of concentration Americans deal with every day, the high prices people pay for cable, and the fact that no one really has the capacity to switch in most markets. And so when you're kind of captured by your regional monopoly, they're, they're going to act like a monopolist. They're going to act in ways that are contrary to a free market competitive, um, you know, competitive system, and now we don't have a legal right to to you know demand better. Um, you know it's it's severely curtailed. Um, you know, and and we'll have a long fight to kind of restore it back to where it was over these years. Now I recall a case, um, and I, I forget the exact provider, but there was I know there was at least one situation where um, prior to this, a, 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 an ISP actually had a, a second plan, a secret plan. Actually, I don't think it was. <laughs> I don't think it was. Uh, advertised widely uh, when you go to their website and want to sign up for service, but there was actually a second tier of service where you could not be tracked. It was, it, it, I think, that the base service was maybe fifty bucks a month, and and then if you asked, you know, hey, you know, for some reason you were knowledgeable enough to say, you know, I don't like you tracking me. There's, oh well, if you want to spend seventy bucks a month, we'll not track you. Right? <laughs> do, do yeah, you, I think this was this was AT and T. Yeah, this was AT and T, and and essentially it was like a privacy tax of sorts. Um, yeah, that that exactly that exactly happened, and the, you know, 
it, it's it's crazy that they even thought they were, could get away with that because at the end of the day, they knew. I mean, their lawyers know this. They they know that the law actually made it their responsibility as as the company, as the communications company, to protect your information. And so the fact that they were selling you something they were required by law to do uh, is ridiculous. But this is you know this is again the the market behavior of of concentrated markets and, and regional monopolies when they. You know, when they are not afraid of you kind of disciplining them with with marching to a different provider, uh, they 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 skirt the rules and they push things to to these kind of terrible limits. Um, I believe the FCC actually looked into this as well, and and, and you know, for at least for for the time being, um, I believe that that practice has ended. Uh, but there's no reason now, especially since everyone values their privacy and now have suddenly lost the a clear right to being uh, private with their ISP. That you know they're going to see that as a great marketing ploy. You know if they, if they can make more money either by not monetizing you, then they'll go that route. And if they can make more money by monetizing you and not giving the option to opt out, um, they're going to go that route. So let me just challenge you on that. So I, and this is something that I think you and I uh, and people like us just can't comprehend. But the the general public, for instance, I I don't know if you have data on this. I'd love to know how many people actually took them up on that offer. That the, for the people that were aware of that AT and T deal, or I could either pay fifty bucks a month and be tracked, or seventy bucks a month and not be tracked. I wonder really how many people took that. And and so my, I challenge the notion that the people care enough about their privacy. And I I I, I can only hope that the re- that the reason. Is that they just they they they're not understanding with the true implications of this. So, make me angry, make my audience angry. What is it they're going to do? <laughs> what is it they're going to do with this data that I should be truly concerned about? Yeah, I think to the first point, you know, I think I I don't know their numbers in terms of how many people paid the extra money. Um, we all pay more than we should be paying for broadband anyway, as a general yes. matter. But the the spike in VPN adoption in the last like 24, 48 hours, I, you know, what I <laughs> understood from some VPN providers who've emailed me, uh, they've noticed a spike in the U.S. market. And so I, I think that's indicative that people are willing to pay some nominal fee to feel assured that their information is protected. Um, you know, we, you know, we do HTTPS everywhere and, and, and other kind of encrypted communications uh, technology at AFF, and we've seen a, a sizable uptick in in the usage of encrypted communications online. Uh, we saw post uh, election of, of President Trump, the 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 text encrypted texting app Signal uh, hit a record number of downloads in a very mm-hmm. short period of time. So, you know, there there is a sizable population of people who are very proactive about anonymity, proactive about retaining uh, kind of confidence in their privacy. The rest of the country, I think, generally don't like the, just the idea of someone uses something that's theirs without their permission. Um, it's very much a uh, you, you should have asked first, I think, mindset with most Americans. There's a small population of people, a minority that you know, are generally kind of throw, are fatalists, if you will. I mean, they've kind of thrown their hands mm-hmm. into that. Everyone sees everything, and therefore, why should I care? Um, they should care because you, you, they've had a legal right this entire time. It's been, if, if you know, whether it's been effectively enforced or not, is is kind of this back and forth issue for the last, you know, depending on who's running the FCC. But at the end of the day, as long as that FCC had that privacy law to enforce, the companies were on notice. They they curtailed the worst ideas they had on the premise that they would lose a lot of money from being sued. Um, you alleviate that pressure, 
then we really can't you know, I can't really fathom what activities they're they're planning to engage in now. Um, there's so much value in being the market player that sees everything you do. Um, no one has that power, not even Google, not even Facebook, because you, when you leave those services or you use ad blockers or, or, or anything that kind of blocks uh, cookies and things like that, um, you know, they, you can make them blind. You can make them blind to your activity, but you have to tell the ISP where you're going. Uh, you have to tell who, the ISP who's contacting you. Um, you have to, the ISP gets to see your email. I mean, it's just, they can install, you know, software directly on your phone, just like the super cookies now. And they don't even, you can't even get around them if you try to encrypt your your content because they can be on the decrypt, you know, unencrypted side uh, of the equation to collect their information. So we've never had a, you know, I think people don't, some people don't believe this when I tell them this, but like we've never had anyone that had that kind of power. Uh, mm-hmm. that kind of power to connect all the dots of your user activity and create a, a very detailed profile of who you are uh, when you go online. Um, and we, you know, we will see how they plan to use it. I think anyone who wants to, who would benefit from that, that data is going to want to buy, um, buy that information. Uh, I think insurance companies will want to know kind of like who are the people who are acting certain ways that strike them as more healthy versus sick. I think, um, I think employers will want to know stuff. I think, uh, the political parties will want to have data on for like, sure. who's going to what news sites. I, I think, um, you know, I think airlines will want to figure out who they can charge higher prices to because they they notice the trend of you go to Amazon and you per, you know and there's there's a certain purchase pattern that represents you're an affluent individual. Therefore, I can charge you more because you won't even notice. You have just more price price uh, comfort. Um, and, and at the end of the day, all these private actors will start getting involved. Um, right behind them is going to be the government. Uh, whenever you you collect a a highly valuable repository of information, you know the intelligence community and the FBI and the rest of them are are not that far from going to asking for subpoenas and warrants uh, for for their investigative purposes um, or or their general surveillance activities. Well, and the other thing that I always try to tell um, people is that the the internet is forever. This data. It's not a matter of, okay, maybe we'll come to our senses in a year and say, that was a bad idea. Let's not do that. It's it's not like you can all of a sudden go back and make that data disappear. It's already been sold. It's been copied. It's, you know, it, other than you changing your demographics, which in, in, obviously in some cases is not possible, your race, your gender, right. your your sexual preference, all these things are things that are, that are not, <laughs> they're not something you could just change so that you're off the record. So. It, it, these are permanent things. It's not like it, if we change our mind later that the damage can be undone. That's right. And and there's also just the larger fundamental uh, damage to a free society. Um, it's really important as a matter of a kind of First Amendment law and, and as, an, as, an, as the American experiment of, of a free and open society where people can say what they want and the government can't, you know, can't, can't control them. The moment more people worry about where they go being tracked and, and self-censor their activity, we, we lose something really fundamental. Yes. Um, it's important that people are allowed to go to, you know, feel comfortable going to controversial websites with controversial information that uh, allows them to explore the boundaries of, of ideas and, and exchange in, in dialogue. Uh, the moment they think if I visited, you know, this website to learn more about said controversial group, you know, whether you're uh, you know, maybe you're a gun enthusiast and you visit a lot of different types of uh, gun show websites and then and law enforcement's looking at that. Or uh, you're looking at 
different types of political protests that are not kind of mainstream protests, but you feel very motivated to get involved. Um, you know, I worry about people fearing the, you know, the eyes on their, their shoulder. And, and once people start self-censoring activity, not get, going to the places they would have gone otherwise, um, you know, that's a big, that's a big loss. And, and that's a big reason why we want to really fight hard at, at fixing this over the, in the coming years. So just practically speaking, so, and, and with a lot, let's assume that Trump is going to sign this. I don't think there's any reason to assume otherwise. He's already said he will. What, where does that leave things? Legally speaking, what, are there any limits to what your ISP can collect about you and, and or limits to who they can sell that information to? Yeah, I mean, so so the question of it will be how, to what effect did Congress damage the privacy law, and and that's ultimately a question that's going to go to the courts. Um, I I don't know the answer because I don't know how. Um, well, let me go back a step because the Congressional Review Act, which is the procedure they use to repeal the our protections, um, it's super rare that it's ever been used, and even rarer that it was ever signed into law. Now, now we're going to have a few dozen of these signed into law for the first time, and the courts are going to have to grapple with the idea that uh, does this mean it's a separate act of law? Does it mean it, it, it amended and, and eviscerated certain provisions of another law? Um, you, you have two pieces of law coming out now that are contradictory to each other, and to what effect? You know, does that where does that leave us at the end? I don't know the answer to that until we get until you know until a judge basically a judge says so. Right. Um, All right. So but I, I do know they I do know they feel like the risk of liabilities lowered dramatically, and so there's no reason to, to not ex- assume uh, a great increase of activity on their part. So I've got to ask your opinion about something I saw uh, recently as a response to this. Uh, there's a gentleman uh, starting a project um, called Search Internet History, and basically what I, what I understand he's doing is. All the Congress critters that uh, that voted yeah. for this bill, he's he's starting a fund to buy. Assume, uh, I assume from the ISPs that are now willing to collect and sell this data, all the all this all the internet data from these Congress people and making it available to the public. What? Tell me what you what what your take is on that. Well, I think that's great. I think I think it's great in the sense that it raises the profile of this issue and what what has happened. Uh, I think feasibly the you know the fact of the matter is these companies lobbied Congress to, you know extremely hard to get this this new power and this new uh, you know this new way to to maximize profits from or subscri- you know subscribers. Uh, they're not going to want to bite the hand that feeds them, right? They're not going to they're not going to because they have a right to choose not to sell to anyone. <laughs> Um, so what they're going to do is they're never going to sell anything that jeopardizes their relationship with the regulator or jeopardizes their relationship with the member of Congress. I, I think real traction with lawmakers is going to happen when inevitably, and I, I just I don't see how this could not happen eventually, is, is someone hacks into one of these network companies and and then drills down on, on personal information of, of a senator or a member of the House and then throws that off with the internet. Um, and it's going to be full of, like, you know, they're visiting websites that, that shock people or, or offend people, and, and people will make assumptions about who they are as an individual, all of that very, very tragic. And, and hopefully that wakes uh, Congress up into the, the, the grand mistake they've made. Um, it's, it's so important for people to be able to use an internet service provider with the confidence that their, their history is not recorded. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we're getting uh, we're getting toward the end here. So I, I want to make sure that we before we go, we kind of talk about you know what can we do about this. And I, and and as always, I want to look first at the individual level and then talk a little bit more as a sort of a, a citizen democ- uh, democratic citizen level uh, kind of thing. And we'll talk a little bit about the technical part parts. But let's let's talk policy wise as, as an individual, other than you know the standard call your congressman. Uh, what can we do? Certainly. So uh, don't don't just call your congressman. They, they, they'll be back home in April. Most of them will have town halls uh, during two weeks of April. Uh, go to that. You know, go to that. Tell them in person what, what you think. Um, you know, if they if they voted against repeal, give them praise. If they voted for it uh, to repeal our privacy rights, you know, give them hell. Uh, they shouldn't hear. They should not feel like they can kind of do this and no one no one will care. Um, there's also going to be a lot of state activity, I suspect. I think a lot of state attorney generals and state legislatures will try and fill the void. Um, we're seeing this already in the kind of in the environmental policy space. As the EPA pulls back, you see a lot of states decide they're going to put in their own money or their, or their own infrastructure in terms of uh, environmental protections. So I think there's going to be a ebb flow that happens very quickly in this space, given just how you know, how universally people feel about, you know, the basic fundamental privacy right. Um, in terms of where we go on the bill or in terms of uh, the federal legislative side, you know, I, I don't foresee this Congress reversing itself that quickly, although, you know, if you get enough people angry to show up at things, <laughs> uh, Congress Congress leads into action all the time when that happens. But that being said, I, I suspect the next generation of members of Congress in the, in the next election, in the following election, uh, need to be running on a clear pledge to to undo this mistake, and and I think over time it will kind of seep into the consciousness of of the political parties to to remedy this you know as as a political matter. Um, there will be a day a, fa- a fateful day where the FCC itself decides to enforce a privacy uh, enforcement action against Verizon or AT and T or Comcast. Uh, and and so watch that court case very closely because this is this, that'll be the test you know that'll be the test case that ultimately decides you know to how much damage this is done I, I still it's still completely plausible that the damage has been is minimal it just seems extremely unlikely and and the but you know we won't know until we get there you know to say the least right. All right. Good advice. Thank you. And just briefly, uh, what, are there any technical solutions that you, that you might recommend? Yeah. So I don't have any specific provider, but you know, virtual private networks, they don't provide a perfect defense because you know, it really depends on a whole host of factors like which one you're using, uh, where they're located in terms of, you know, are they, is it an encrypted server in a foreign country? Because that foreign country will have a whole set of its own retention and data monitoring laws that may be kind of defeat the purpose of what you're shooting for. Um, they're entitled to, to engage in the same activities as the uh, Comcast of the world. So, uh, you know, knowing, you know, th- that's like the last weakness is the fact that they may have a business relationship that undermines the purpose of, of why you would want their product. Um, other than that, you know, I, I've heard Tor is also effective uh, as a means. I'm not 100% familiar how it works, but, you know, that's that's what I've heard. But the rest of the tools that are out there, unfortunately, just really don't have a way to block what your ISP knows about you because when you visit a website, you're you're querying with a d- d- domain name server system, and and that that operates in a different realm where the ISP can can, can see that metadata, right? And they can see that traffic. Um, many websites nowadays use uh, HTTPS, uh, Netflix, for example, 
And and that's good because what that means is the ISP knows you go to Netflix, but they don't know what you're watching. Right. Uh, I you know we we at EFF encourage every website uh, host to just adopt you know encrypted communication so that you know essentially keeps people um, you know, at least what they transfer what they transfer between the two point A point B if you will uh, keeps that confidential and encrypted. Yeah, and so I'm glad you brought that up. That was something I wanted to make sure we covered is that. Um, it, it's it's while it's true as you say that there's a difference between the communication you have on the website and the first initial lookup of that website, which is uh, domain name service as you mentioned DNS. Um, but there's also a difference between HTTP and HTTPS. Um, the S being for secure, or some people say safe. Um, where that communication is in, uh, with the website is encrypted, so it's what they call a tunnel. Uh, so that your traffic is kind of going out of sight uh, back and forth. So what's uh, what's the traffic going back and forth can actually not be seen. And you you folks actually use um, – I've created one of the plugins that I recommend most often, which is HTTPS Everywhere. Tell us about that. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we're the – I think we're the largest certificate issuer uh, in terms of the – you know, the entities that issue certificates for, for you know, confirming HTTPS. Um, the, you know, so, you know, go to the EFF uh, website, yeah, EFF.org. Uh, you can kind of find all our information on there. And I know our tech, our tech team is very proud of kind of the work they've been able to do to, to encourage adoption in that sense. Fantastic. All right. Well, it was really good talking to you. Thank you very much for explaining all the, the, the policy details, the in and outs of this. Um, it, it's really a shame that this has happened. I, I hope that we can, that, the, that, that there's a groundswell and, a, and, and folks out there listening will, will go to these town halls, will write and call their congressmen uh, and to, to hopefully get this uh, reversed. Yeah, I, I think the energy is there. You know, it's just a matter of sustaining it and channeling it and, and we'll get there. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Many thanks again to Ernesto Falcone for coming on and telling us what's going on. And now that we've talked about what is happening, I need to do my best to help you figure out how to handle this. And it's not easy. Unfortunately, it's tricky. And we've got about 10 minutes here, and I'm going to do my best to give you some tips on how to protect your privacy from your internet service provider and from your wireless carrier provider. So you're probably asking, do, look, do I really need to worry about this? Is, do I, what do I really have to hide? And I will refer you again, I've done this in a past show, to go to the web and find Glenn Greenwald's TED Talk on privacy, on, on why privacy matters. Absolutely check that out. Can't recommend that enough. Uh, but let's just talk about it for a minute. You do have things that you want to keep private. Everybody does. Uh, let's, do you wear clothes? Uh, do you close the blinds on your house? Do you shred medical and financial documents before throwing them away? Well, maybe you don't do all those things. Hopefully, you at least wear clothes. <laughs> but the point is, we all have something that we need to hide. We all have something that we'd like to keep private. That's just human nature. So let's talk about let's talk about some of the things that you can do to protect your privacy, and in particular, to hide your traffic from your internet service providers. Now that they unfortunately are free to do whatever they want with that information. So the first thing to understand is that when you're using private browsing mode or incognito browsing mode, that that has nothing to do with protecting your anonymity or your privacy from your service provider. That All that really does is make sure that there are no footprints left behind on your local computer for what you've been doing. So if anyone were to come to your computer and try to figure out what websites you've been to or that sort of thing, there would be no... 
record of where you've been. That is all that that is doing. That is not preventing your internet service provider or your wireless provider, if you're using a phone or a tablet, from seeing where you've gone. They, they are the conduit for you. They are the service that is connecting you to the internet. They know everything that you're doing, with some exceptions. So let's talk about that. When you're using HTTPS, that is when you've got that little lock icon in your browser, um, that means that your communications between you and whatever website you're visiting or service that you're using is completely encrypted. That does mean that your internet service provider or really anyone between you and them cannot see the data that is going back and forth. Now they do know that you're talking to WebMD or that or Netflix or Google or whatever service you're 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 using. They can see that much, but they don't know what information is being exchanged. So at least you know that when you're using HTTPS for your connection, and this is something that you don't have full control over. It's a matter of whether or not the site that you're accessing supports secure communications. And thankfully, more and more of them are doing this. It's becoming easier and cheaper for them for them to do it, thanks to some efforts by Google and uh, uh, a thing called Let's Encrypt that is offering free um, communication uh, certificates that allow for this uh, encryption. So that's getting better, but it's I want you to know that it's not 100%. So there are websites that you can visit that are not secure, that are not using this encryption technology, meaning that not only can your internet service provider or wireless carrier see the data that's going back and forth, this may include things like email, uh, where they could read the emails that you're sending or receiving. Uh, they, can, they can look at your traffic, see what you're doing, and then use that data however they want, thanks to this repeal that we just discussed. Um, and that's not good. So what can you do about this? couple things. First of all, uh, as we mentioned in the interview with the uh, EFF, they have this wonderful plug-in for uh, most browsers called HTTPS Everywhere. And the point of this plugin is that some websites actually support both secure and non-secure connections. And some of them by default, for whatever reason, choose non-secure. So this plugin, as much as possible for those kind of websites, will choose the secure connection versus the insecure connection. So it makes sure that if a website you're visiting supports encrypted communication, that that is exactly what you will use. So tip number one, I recommend that you go find and download and install HTTPS everywhere from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So a second thing that you need to be strongly considering and probably the focus for my, my remaining time here is something that we talked about a little bit in the interview and that is virtual private networks or VPNs. So a VPN is a tool that will hide your internet traffic. Specifically, it will hide the data that travels between your computer or smart device and the VPN service provider. Uh, and as, all, as always, it's helpful to think in terms of an analogy. So, so let's, say, let's say you were able to dig a tunnel from your basement to a subway system. And that subway system has exit points all around the globe. So this subway system can't take you everywhere directly. It can just kind of get you into the neighborhood of where you want to go. It gets you from your house to somewhere near uh, where you want to be. So what that would mean was that anybody who is spying on your house or even on your neighborhood would not be able to tell when you come and go, nor would they be able to tell where you're going or coming from. That is essentially 
what a VPN service does. It doesn't mask your traffic all the way from your house to wherever web, whatever website or whatever you're visiting, but it does hide your traffic from the people that are in a position to watch your house. So that's the analogy you can think of. So now a VPN is not only useful for hiding your traffic from your internet service provider or your wireless carrier, um, you should also be using a VPN service whenever you connect to a public Wi-Fi service, and for very similar reasons. Though in the case of a Wi-Fi hotspot, you're hiding your traffic from everybody else that is also connected to that same Wi-Fi hotspot. Most people don't realize that it's possible for others to see what you're doing, not to mention whoever is providing the Wi-Fi service. So using a VPN will also protect your traffic in this case as well. It's something that we should all be doing. So another thing to think about is even if we assume that our internet service providers and wireless carriers are somehow perfectly able to anonymize the data before they sell it or give it to whoever they're going to give it to. The fact that they have the raw data on everything that you do and everything, all the communication you have makes them a target for hackers and perhaps law enforcement agencies who might want to use that information. So if we've learned nothing else, we've learned that it's very hard to keep all this data safe and secure from hackers or three-letter agencies. I mean, in fact, the three-letter agencies can't even manage to keep their own data secure. So once this data is recorded somewhere, it can be stolen. So what do we look for when we're looking for a VPN provider? Unfortunately, there are so, so many aspects to trying to evaluate how good a VPN provider is. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about a few of them here just to give you an idea. So first of all, it really depends on what it is you're trying to protect and from whom you're trying to protect it. Uh, if you're just trying to mask your internet traffic from your ISP or protect your data while you're at a public Wi-Fi, honestly, just about any VPN service will do. The nature of what a VPN is means that it's going to hide your traffic from the people, uh, from the, the systems that you're traveling through uh, at the near side, at your computer side. And there are many free VPN services out there, in fact. However, I would strongly recommend against a free VPN service. Uh, they've got to make money somehow, and if you're not paying for the product, you may be the product. So what are some of the things that you need to consider? Uh, unfortunately, you need to consider where that VPN service is located. That is, where they actually keep their, their computers that you're talking to, where the tunnel comes out um, for your data from your, from your home to the other end of that tunnel, where does that tunnel exist? Because unfortunately different countries have different privacy laws. And right now the United States does not have the best customer focused privacy laws. So you need to be looking at, unfortunately, probably countries in Europe, in particular, Switzerland. Uh, they really have some good privacy laws, for example. The other thing to consider is do they maintain logs? Because if they maintain logs, then what that means is that after the fact, somebody could come back and basically figure out where you went by looking at this, these records of, oh, this person came out the tunnel here and then they went there. Those logs could be there. Most VPN service providers that are, that are worried about your privacy will tell you that they keep no logs whatsoever. Now, of course, you have to trust that they're doing that, which unfortunately is true with just about any service you, you buy. You, you, you've got to trust what they're saying. Unfortun unfortunately, it's, it's really hard for any individual to truly vet any service. So all you can hope is that they're doing what they're saying they're doing. And if you're paying them, that's more likely that they are. And you also want to try to find a service that's got a reputation to maintain. So a service that's been around for a while that, that claims to be very privacy focused to the point where if there were some sort of a scandal involved in that, that they would look bad. So it's, on, it's in their best interest to be secure and to 
to honor uh, their agreement to keep your data as private as possible. So I know what you're thinking, Carrie, just, just tell me what to use. Just, just cut through it all. Just, just give me one. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you a, a one suggestion. There are many, uh, and you, p- please feel free to do your own research. But if you just want to dial this one up to 11, if you just want to say, you know, just give me something that's going to knock it out of the park, let me suggest privacy abroad. Privacy Abroad is based in Switzerland, so it checks that box. They're using all the right technologies. That checks another box. These guys are doing everything they can to maintain your privacy. They're used by many banking systems around the world. Banks obviously need to protect their data. So via Privacy Abroad has multiple tools. So it's not just going to be a VPN. If you're going to sign up for their service, you're going to also get secure email. You're going to get um, secure cloud storage. They've also got a password manager. They've got all sorts of things in their in their tool suite. So if you just want to do one thing and be done with it, go look at Privacy Abroad. These guys have got everything you need, and they've checked all the right boxes. Folks, we've got so much more material to cover, and we will be covering it all in the coming weeks. We'll talk about password managers and how to choose a good password and how to keep your kids safe, how to make your smartphone safe, how to keep viruses off your computers, all these things that everybody wants to know we'll be talking about. So tune in for the future episodes of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. And until then, don't be caught with your drawbridge down, folks. See you next time.